0: Everyone has this mindset that there is a road to success, yes. whereas actually success isn't a road. If you think of success as the journey, who cares what road you take to it? Take three trains and a bus and a scenic route. It's the same as going on the straight path that you drew a line in. Like if, you're, if your goal is the end game, which it also has its own problems because the journey is surely just as important as that. Mm-hmm. Um but why why are we saying there's one route like this isn't this isn't like a maze there isn't one way to get to the end
1: welcome to the Wired wick demystifying tech law trends and educating about law in tomorrow's society Welcome back to The Wired Wig. This is a special episode with Logan Oliver, who is head of business development at Office and Dragons. In this episode, we discussed alternative paths to a career in law, looking at Logan's path in legal tech and how he got there. At the end of the episode, Logan also gives a little bit of an insight into something special that Office and Dragons are up to. As some of you start new years at university, I hope this episode gives you inspiration of different paths that you can take in law. So Logan, thank you for joining me today on The Wired Week. It's great to have you here. And today we're going to be talking a bit about alternative careers in law, in particular legal tech. So it's very
0: fitting that I'm glad that you asked me here for this one and not careers in law.
1: Yes, exactly. It It would be a shock if I turned around and said, maybe let's talk about the SQE.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe let's start off with where are you currently now and what was your journey to working at Office & Dragons?
0: It's a very long and weird and convoluted story. So so there is going to be a question of when do we start because I do have the weirdest CV ever, Uh, but I'm currently at Office & Dragons and I'm the head of business development there. But like, when do we start? Because I'm the kind of person who, I think we'll talk about this a bit later, but I feel like every job you have, will contribute to where you are so like my mindset today is very much as shaped by my first job as my last one
1: Mm -hmm. so maybe let's frame the question a little differently when you were studying did you think you'd go and become a traditional lawyer or was that never on your mind
0: uh so that was that was that was el dream yes um but i also was doing a lot of other things that weren't law related um i guess for context when i was in law school uh, I was an international student, as many are. Um, international student fees are a lot more expensive than, than mm-hmm. na- regular student fees, especially. I studied in Edinburgh, uh, so all my Scottish friends were going for free. My English friends going for nine grand a year. And for me, it was about 16 grand a year. Um, so I had to work two jobs most of the way through university. Um, I couldn't afford to not work. Uh, so the issue was that I didn't get into any VAC schemes uh but I started thinking in my third and fourth year that, especially my third year, uh, that that if I don't start doing something that's not retail or bar work, that's actually probably gonna not suit me for my future. Like that experience I think is very important. I have had corporate experience since before university started, but I was thinking I needed something else. If I can't be in the law firm, I can at least figure out what the clients think about. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, I worked for BlackBerry just before joining uh, Edinburgh University, and then in my third year, I got a contract uh, at Amazon. Um, funnily enough, I didn't quite know it was a six-month contract until the contract got slid across my desk. I thought it was going to be for the summer. Ended up kind of doing that through my first semester of wow. my final year at uni as well.
1: So you well, were working at Amazon while you were studying at the yeah, same time? Okay.
0: Yeah, uh, I was living in London, technically studying in Scotland, but don't tell anybody. Shh. But yeah, so like uh, I, I, my, my goal had I, had I had done every step of the of the way there with the goal of becoming a lawyer in a law firm. Um, even when I finished my job at Amazon and I came back, my final summer at uh, in Edinburgh, like I could have moved to London early. I had I had mm. gotten some offers from some other. Like corporates. Uh, But one thing that I thought was a gap actually was that I had never worked at a bar. And I actually thought working behind a bar, specifically like a more luxury bar, I thought that could actually be quite handy um, for a number of reasons. Um, And so I ended up getting a job at my favorite whiskey bar in Edinburgh, became like Mm -hmm. a professional whiskey taster, um, which was fun. Um, Got to like help people like pair whiskeys with food and create whiskey tastings whilst just being a bartender. It helps you get a lot of that sort of hospitality experience. I've had retail, not hospitality, but then on top of that, the luxury side, it, it allows you to kind of uh, learn about the nuances that can make you have interesting conversations with people um, mm-hmm. about topics that most people do engage in, alcohol being a pretty big yes. one a lot of people talk about. So yeah, like I've, I've definitely through my career kind of positioned the jobs that I took as being things that I thought would make me very much a well-rounded person to going into a law firm because I couldn't get a law experience itself.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think actually working in a bar or in hospitality or any sort of service job is really important as well for any student. I think
0: the bigger thing that, uh, that I learned from uh, uh, from hospitality is one, actually being able to manage multitasking. Um, in a way that really like you're put in charge of 15 tables as well as drinks like you have to juggle things in your head and you learn very quickly whether or not you're a person who needs to take notes Um, Mm -hmm. and then two, how to communicate because anyone could walk in and you need to make everyone have a good time whether that's a football lad that just wants to have a chin wag about how ludicrous the sporting was or whether that's like a, a prim and proper old couple that is very, you know, proper about everything and wants to just simply speak about the weather. You know, mm-hmm. you, you learn how to adjust how you communicate based on who you're talking to. And I think that's almost more of what I thought was beneficial to get out of that than necessarily the, the resilience that people always talk about mm-hmm. being important to learn as a lawyer. It is. I think you can learn resilience in a lot of different ways and develop it in a lot of different ways. But I think The expectation that people are going to shout at you and thus you should work at a bar because people will shout at you, I I think actually often leads to ingraining toxicity in workplaces.
1: So maybe we can talk a bit about after you worked at Amazon, what happened next after that? Where did you work?
0: When I finished working at Amazon, I went back, I finished my degree. I didn't work for a few months. It's kind of the only real unemployed period I ever had to finish my degree. Um, Got to the end of that. Got my degree, started looking for some jobs. I had, up until that point for the past couple of years, been applying for training contracts uh, to no avail. Uh, I got offered a job being an operational analyst uh, at a company because I taught myself quite a bit of data stuff when I was at uh, Amazon. uh, They made me a very lovely offer, but when I got into the GDL, I was like, Yeah, but I still want to be a lawyer. So, SAWS. Um, my, my father made a very good point because he knows me and he says, here's the thing, because you'll do exactly what I did. You will say yes to that thinking that's okay, I'll just I'll get a decent salary, save up a bit of money for a couple of years, then I'll go do the GDL. But what will happen is Every year, you're going to get off with a little bit more money, maybe a promotion. Then you're going to start having a harder time thinking, OK, wait a second. Now now they're paying me this amount of money. Actually, maybe I should stick around just a little more, get a little bit more money. Then I'll go do the GDL. You will end up being in your mid-30s, never having done it. And now suddenly having to look at restarting a career as opposed to continuing one. And that's when you're going to say it's not worth it anymore. So if you mm-hmm. want to be a lawyer, you can't take that job.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree with that. As So I sort of stepped off the legal path for a little bit of time, and I'm now in the process of qualifying under the New York bar route, but actually stepping back on that sort of legal treadmill, um, was quite hard because the position I was in, I was in data protection, which is quite a trendy topic at the moment. So it's also quite a good place to be because there's a lot of opportunities and then, but then I sort of thought more about it and realized, well, even absolutely it's more, not, more but, makes but, you but happy. it's
0: definitely a thing that that young me resonated with when it was like yes. to be honest you're going to get to a point where they're going to be paying you 50 grand and you're going to have to look at suddenly making nothing again you're not going to like that
1: mm-hmm. it's true it's true and i was like
0: that is that is true so i'd rather not make anything now rather than have to give up my income
1: mm-hmm. absolutely so you said no and uh, yeah said well.
0: no went into the gdl um uh, so one of the reasons for doing the GDL, I I, I kind of always thought I would do the GDL. Um, I just, from a younger age, um, I had this conviction that having a Scots law degree was actually going to be really beneficial to get a Scots degree, but but then start training in England mm-hmm. um, because of the mixed legal system in Scotland. And uh, there supposedly, I can't remember exactly where I found it, but there were some stats saying that actually more and more firms were hiring Scots lawyers as well because they had from a comparative law perspective, a lot more of an understanding of other legal systems outside of just mm. the Commonwealth and ex-Commonwealth. Um, okay. So like a lot of certain bits of Scots law are very close to a lot of European laws. And while we were in the EU, that seemed quite attractive. Um, so I, I, I went along that route um, and I was always planning on going down, but um, uh, even more so, as I said, I didn't get any of my training contracts and, and there's a, probably a pretty good reason why, which is... Um, so I got partway through university diagnosed with narcolepsy, um, which to those who don't know, uh, it is a chronic sleep condition, which one of the symptoms, is, well, essentially it's you never properly sleep when you sleep. So despite getting eight or nine hours a night, you'll still feel as tired as if you hadn't slept for a day. And as a result, unmedicated, you will just fall asleep randomly throughout the day. So at the worst of it, which was in my late second year, early third year, like I was uncontrollably sleeping about 18 hours a day. um okay I was missing classes uh not for the reasons that I already knew everything and thus was going to go and work at a chocolate store Uh, I was missing (laughs) classes because I was sleeping through them uh which made it very difficult as well to get good grades when you also were falling asleep in your exams Mm -hmm. um I got special circumstances um they gave me more time but that's just more time to sleep and the invigilators didn't really wake you up so I came out with a 2-2 um which you know very good degree I'm proud of that of that grade but as anyone who has tried applying for training contracts knows it's usually a big red x on your on your application because the first thing they say is minimum requirement two one or higher Uh, and yes you can put in special circumstances but there's also an element of there's special circumstances of like yes my my mother died and I was in grieving but now I've gotten over that and so there you go I'm better now but when you say I have a chronic condition that theoretically makes me a risk for the rest of my life and yes i have meds but trust me i'm better now um it's why it's i kicking. felt like i'd have a much more compelling situation if when now medicated i could do the gdl like rock that be able to point to so for example criminal law uh i i just passed i, think I got a 42 percent on my exam because again fell asleep during it um, i got I think I, I think I got a distinction on it. I got like an 80% when I did the GDL. Wow. Okay. And to so be able to put those side by side and be like, there's clearly a reason. Exactly. Um, exactly. So I walked through the, I got a distinction in the GDL, but unfortunately the the question wasn't, what was your last degree? The question is, what was your first degree? And so I always still have that. And that's uh, what kind of led to me starting to consider alternative routes. Mm-hmm. Um, but-
1: and and do you you think if that hadn't had happened you would have still considered well still kept on trying to get more into the traditional route and get the there's a time
0: when i eventually would have stopped uh because there's a so what happened next after my gdl was actually during my gdl there's a wonderful company uh hashtag to that or or shout out to them uh it's flex legal um I, i i i I'm sure everyone already knows about them, but great company. I worked for them while I was in my GDL uh, Mm -hmm. and then got a placement with BT through them uh, right when I graduated. Uh, As I understand, I think I was one of the first people going into BT and it was to try and like help build the relationship. Um, And it wasn't a strictly legal role. It it was in the legal team, but it had a lot more of a project management spin to it. And hey, between BlackBerry and Amazon, I'm a project manager. Um, That's what I did. And so the, the, the manager of my team looked at my CV when it was put forward and was like, actually, this guy's got the skills that we need for here. I was still part of the legal team. Technically, my job was as legal support, uh, bid management and legal support. So it was technically a legal role, but it was very much a project management role. Um, and I worked for them for nearly two years, I think, while still trying to get vacation schemes and trying to get training contracts. Right. But there would have been a point, and I was getting close to that point, where i had i had in my mind set my final date at bt and said if if you haven't done it by then you're gonna need to go and get like a a job not in a legal sector and focus on the skills you've previously had and start start going that route
1: Mm -hmm. no absolutely understandable and i think that's the point for whatever reason, if it's just not working out in that way, it doesn't is not the end of the world, and there's other ways yep. to be successful. And it's just realizing that's the point to say, okay, I'm going to put this away for this time I and try a... another path, and maybe you'll go back to it at a later Absolutely. point. Never, I
0: made yeah. a super cringeworthy LinkedIn post um, back when I was, I think, like 21 or something. I think it was when I was working at Amazon, mm-hmm. and I, 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 oh, it was so soapboxy boxy. I thought I was so clever, <laughs> but it was about how the road to success is a lie. Because everyone I I still think there's nuggets of wisdom in young Logan, though he's a bit too show-offy about it. Um <laughs> but but it was it was about how essentially like everyone has this mindset that there is a road to success. Yes. Whereas actually success isn't a road. This if you if you think of success as the journey, who cares what road you take to it? Take three trains and a bus and a scenic route. It's the same as going on the straight path that you drew a line in. Like if, you're, if your goal is the end game, which it also has its own problems because the journey is surely just as important as that. Um, mm-hmm. But why, why are we saying there's one route? Like this isn't, this isn't like a maze. There isn't one way to get to the end.
1: Yes, No, absolutely. And I suppose this leads nicely into what you're doing now. So you'll roll up Office of uh, Dragons.
0: So I got a vacation scheme um it was the first vacation scheme I ever got uh went in and uh started actually doing some work it was really interesting that the topic of commercial awareness came up a lot during that because having now worked in corporate for quite a while I knew what clients liked and as I suspected that was quite helpful when you know I was asked to review a contract that a client had put together and he had talked about putting up a service desk and my comment was you're going to want to think of some SLA some service level agreements yes um Uh, In order to put in there, because the fact of the matter is when you put this in front of anyone, if you're offering a service, they're going to want SLAs and it's much better to put them in on your terms rather than them in certain fair boilerplate, because you might not be able to stand up to those. And if you're going to fight, fight on your own terms. Mm -hmm. And my supervising associate was like, like, I wouldn't have expected like second seat trainees to have known something like that. That was super (laughs) well done. It's like, yeah, the commercial awareness works, but culturally wasn't really a fit, um, it it, it it got to the point where actually within like the last week of the training contract, I thought to myself, this has been a good experience. This has been fun. But if they offer me a training contract, I won't accept it. And then I mean, very telling that they didn't offer me a training contract as well, because I think it was probably clear there wasn't that much of a fit. But one of the benefits to doing that training contract is I bumped into a company called Thought River, which was the first okay. piece of legal tech that I actually ever Recognized as being legal tech. I had known like LexisNexis and like Westlaw and stuff like that, but never really clicked that that was legal tech. That was more, you know, a library. But yes. this was a piece of flashy AI that could that could revolutionize the world and make lawyers, you know, go extinct or whatever people were freaking out about. But that was really cool because you know my background in this project management stuff. A lot of that was around process improvement and around like how to do the same jobs better, which suddenly. Wait a second, legal tech is doing that, but also thinking about legal problems. I like thinking about legal problems and I'm good at thinking about ways to do things better. And so from that point, I think I got, I think I had that um, back scheme in August, maybe. Um, And I then decided that I had my date looming for when I had to leave BT. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to start looking at legal tech as one of those options because that is kind of a cool idea. I taught myself SQL, um, which is a query language that's used to help like data mining and database creation and stuff like that. It's not a coding language because I know any coder that I say I know how to code would yell at me for that. It's not a coding language, but it is akin to one. (laughs) Um, It is is similar enough in the way that it's a logical representation of syntax to Mm -hmm. achieve an end. This end is just to do with data as opposed to creating other things. Um, so I taught myself that um, and was actually quite good at it. I, I very quickly got to a point where an expert in it said, you say you're a beginner. I'd class you as an intermediate, to be fair. And I was self-taught and it was really cool. And it felt like a puzzle that I could unpick. Uh, and I started thinking, maybe if I'm going into legal tech, I need to learn how to code. So mm-hmm. I then Googled about, but in my mind, I was still thinking I will be a lawyer one day though. And so I was thinking, okay, well, working in legal tech, that'll be a great like pivot into being a lawyer. And mm-hmm. then I, uh, I... I ended up researching about lawyers and coding and Lautomated had an article that was should lawyers learn to code. Um, So I read through that. And one of the things they then said was, you know, here are some things that lawyers who know how to code did. And one of those was created a legal tech startup. And they gave a couple of examples of legal tech startups that have been founded by ex-lawyers. And one of those was a company called Office and Dragons
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, that was that was founded by someone from Kirkland and Ellis. And I was just like, wait a second, Office and Dragons, because through all of this, I'm also a relentless nerd or geek. I prefer geek. But Dungeons and Dragons is something I have been playing for at this point, five years and a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um and when I saw Office and Dragons, the first thing, like I, I was skimming the article, I was reading, it was an interesting article, it was a great read, but I wasn't clicking on any of the links to these things. But then I saw Office and Dragons and I'm like, that can't be a reference to d <laughs> can it? There's no way it's a reference to Dungeons and Dragons. There's absolutely, I clicked on the link and I saw the old website that we used to have and the old logo that we used to have, which was very suspiciously similar to the Dungeons and Dragons logo. And yes. I was like, oh, it is and so I just started researching Office and Dragons, started looking at what they did, watched the uh, the YouTube videos we used to have out, um, uh, like learned about essentially the prototype of the product, not even what it's at now, um, and was quite enamored. But I also noticed that they didn't have any like hiring or like careers section on the website, and so not one to be dissuaded because I've always been a person who kind of. very cheeky about asking for jobs i went to the request a demo page um and i typed in my email and i said i don't want a demo i do want a job though so uh and then i I (laughs) sent that off yeah sent that off it uh, promptly went to the pub because it was the end of the day anyway within 30 minutes i got an email from the founder sam um who was just like hey like actually funnily enough we're not advertising positions but we have been looking at expanding the team so like, what are you interested in? Have you got a CV? And the rest is history. Now I'm here. <laughs> I, <laughs> I became the head of business development, was one of the first employees. And
1: hey. That's great. And maybe going back to what, what you were previously saying as well, because mm-hmm. when you mentioned that you were still considering being a lawyer, even when you were looking at legal tech, mm-hmm. what do you think about the sort of strategy of, because legal tech is now really trendy for a lot of mm-hmm. students. They're asked about it all the time. And I've heard from some law students that they're now getting like legal tech roles, but and I suppose it's maybe a bit too early to say, but those legal tech roles could convert into more like legal roles. What do you mm-hmm. think about that, Rude?
0: It's an interesting one. Um, I have not, um, I have not necessarily seen what that actually looks like in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's hard to say, because I don't think I've seen people go that way. Um, okay. And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting one. I've seen people go into like legal tech training contracts and stuff like that, but I've never seen it actually get to fruition and have qualified lawyers that that started off in legal tech. I've yeah. seen qualified lawyers that go into legal tech, but mm-hmm. not the other way around. So it'll be interesting to see, because one of the things that uh, I had a friend of mine comment when i had said that i originally was thinking about going back to law and maybe i'll keep that as an option someday depending on you know years in the future and they said logan i'm sorry but you're not going to be a lawyer you've seen the light it's too late um (laughs) you know to, to, to transition from legal tech to law especially i mean every law firm will tell you adoption is the hardest part like the actual use of legal tech i mean legal tech is a weird word anyway but the use of tech within teams is not as prolific as many law firms would like people to think it is. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a big secret, but um, as a result, if you were to go from knowing that all of this exists and is possible to then being stuck copying and pasting, staying up till 5 a.m. because a deal needs to get done and you saying, well, there's this tech we could use and people saying "Nah, saws don't have time to test it and vet it and get it through our processes and then invest in it. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. But potentially maybe there could be like a halfway point of being in legal tech and then maybe i don't know like maybe going back in as a lawyer and sort of showing the firm how they can innovate
0: yeah i guess it's an interesting question about i think there's a couple of questions that go into it um one is when do you start and is that something that should be started almost so late Mm -hmm. like to, to to walk into the firm having no exposure to the tech side of things from an education perspective. Like there are some universities that teach about legal tech. It's not a common thing. Um, I did not learn about it. I did not. Again, as I said, I learned about it when I got my first VAC scheme. And that was after having done both a law degree and a GDL and two years of working in adjacent, like as a paralegal at one point in a law firm and then with a VAC scheme in another law firm, having no idea legal tech existed. Mm -hmm is the problem that we need people to teach firms to innovate? Because I don't think it necessarily is the problem. I think there's a lot of people in firms wanting to innovate. I think the problem is that it is not set up to innovate that well. Mm -hmm. What the actual reason is, I mean, ask anybody and everyone will give you different answers. Very common ones are the hourly rate model doesn't, I think that's more a symptom of anything else. I think one of the big ones is the partnership model. It's one of the reasons why ALSPs are getting so popular, but the partnership model as a whole does not really incentivize long-term investment. Um, if you walked up to a group of partners who realistically speaking, like their pay is based on profit margins and you say, Hey, let's increase our investment into tech by, by, you know half a million this year that's half a million that's coming out of people's pockets um and so especially if you're saying well hey hey but you know what in five years we'll have made 5x on that return well guess who's not going to like that the partner who's retiring in two years because that person's now making a loss for having invested in tech and Mm -hmm. the problem is once they've retired you have another partner looking to to retire in two years and as such like people talk about how since COVID legal tech has been exploding in law firms. And yet most people in the legal tech teams I've been talking to talk about how much their budgets have been clawed back, you oh. know, profit, like profit margins are higher than ever before in law firms. And yet, and yet legal tech teams feel less empowered to actually get tech.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't think
0: the problem is necessarily, there's a cultural issue obviously, but I don't think the solution is necessarily putting people on the ground floor, wanting to innovate. Cause I think, I think the problem is closer to the top. Mm. Um, and it's why I think ALSPs are potentially in a very interesting position with with the shareholder model. Like You can retire and still get paid, so investing in tech is still quite helpful because if it's going to pay off in five years, great. Get your dividends
1: in five years. Yes, and maybe for some some of the listeners, they might not know what an ALSP is.
0: Apologies. Uh, It's an alternative legal service provider, so since the Legal Services Act came in, I can't remember what year. um, It's essentially made it so that... Essentially, it's allowed you to have companies that practice law as opposed to just like LLPs, like your traditional law firms. It's one of the things that's led to um, the big four, like your Deloittes and your and your PwCs and stuff, actually going into legal. But it's also caused a lot of people, oftentimes lawyers who leave law firms, find found a company that is you know backed by shares as opposed to by partnership agreements, and will start a company that does the same job. Mm-hmm. Um, there, There's obviously tricky bits for them right now, and it's still a relatively new thing, but there are some players out there who are really moving and shaking. And oftentimes they're taking a lot more of the procedural work because they have, they've allowed themselves to just be set up to do that so much more efficiently for fixed fees that a lot of law firms, I'm not talking about the top prestige firms, but I'm talking about a lot of the law firms that are out there are getting scared mm-hmm. because they're being forced to do fixed fees but they're not very good at maximizing profit under fixed fees. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly worried about going over the fixed fee. Whereas a lot of these ALSPs are saying, cool, well, how are we expanding the margins we're already making?
1: Yes. Exactly. You're starting
0: from different places.
1: What is Office and Dragons? Is it an uh, a- ALSP or is it, it is just not, a company? No. Okay.
0: So we're, we're a company, we're a tech company. Um, some might call us legal tech. I still think legal tech is a, a, a weird I think it's a loaded term. So okay. I, I like to say we're a tech company. Um, we are mostly selling to lawyers. We're a transaction development company. Um, we essentially help with. Well, currently we help a lot with the documentation processes. Um, we like at, at at its core, we like to think now of like dealing with documents as as a 3D printer might. In <laughs> essence, you know, we've been described at an early stage as like place replacement mail merge on steroids. But the, the core ethos is that within legal documents are pieces of data, whether that's your customer names or your governing law clauses or whatever. And those pieces of data are the same across your transactions. So why not have them represented in a single place as opposed to any time changes have to be made going in? And you know, th- there, there are ways that other people have tried to do it. So document automation is a very popular one that has become quite a, a swarmed industry right now where the idea is to build a template upfront and create questionnaires that then can get filled in to populate those. But we're trying to go one step further. So whereas that's like a plastic molding machine where you create the mold and then you can stamp out the same thing over and over very easily, very quickly, very scalably. Problem is that we've noticed in a lot of law firms, there's always bits of complexity that means that either you start from scratch and don't use your plastic mold or you take the output of your mold and end up having to go manually to file away at it anyway. That's where mm-hmm. our sort of 3D printer model comes in because what we're doing is saying why well, build a template. Those those bits of data are still there whether or not you've forced a template on them. Identify those pieces and then you can work with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work with any document so you're not worried about having to get something that's already pre-made if you end up getting Documents from the other side, documents from your client last lawyer, you can work with them all the same without needing to templatize. That's kind of in a nutshell, Office of dragons right now.
1: Great. And I know we spoke about a really nice use case or a very, very happy customer or junior lawyer the other day. Yeah,
0: we've, it was- we've had it. We've had, a I mean, a couple, but but I mean, probably the biggest one. Um, and I'll, I'll use the biggest one because it can show, I guess, the power that this mentality because it's it's not just about the tech. I also, yes. again, as a process improvement person, it's not just about the tech, it's the workflow. So Office of Dragons is great, but part of it requires you to think about your transactions as bits of data as well so that you can best use it. You can still use it, but you're going to get the best results if you think about it this way. That's what this story is about. It can be used at any scale. We've seen people who do it with three or four documents, but this one shows you kind of the potential impact. So we had a trainee uh, who was in an investment funds team for a, a private equity fund deal that was coming up? Um, big, big transaction. They had three hundred investors that were going in. Each one needed a um, a pack of um, pack of investment documents uh, that needed to get spun out for each of those three hundred. Uh, that investment pack was not standard. It was negotiated by the lead investor to get the terms that they wanted, which then got rolled out to all of them, pretty standard practice. And then it came to, the trainees to deal with it. Now of course. they had eight <laughs> documents, of course, eight documents per pack, 300 investors. We're talking about 2,400 documents plus 2,400 red lines that needed to be produced. Wow. And they had two weeks to do it across the team and their estimate was they'd be cutting it pretty close. Um, we're talking about, I, th- I think our estimate was between, I-, I think it was about 400 hours of work something like that, that that the team would need to do across the team in order to get this. Uh, And that was based on estimates of this, this one trainee, I think was producing documents between seven and 10 minutes a document, which is pretty standard. The average we find is about 10 minutes. Um, The fastest ones tend to be five minutes per document. So even at that end, it was about 200 hours. um, If everyone was being like the fastest people ever, Uh, the trainee had just gotten Office of dragons hadn't even trained on it yet we trained him like the next week and he shared this story we were like oh wow um but he was able to get uh the entire set of 2400 docs done in eight hours on his own um again just by separating the data from the presentation of the data he was able to say okay well actually in these eight documents you know your your customer names your your investment amounts your you know, whether or not this clause applies, like all of those are within all of them. And yes, it's bespoke, but all you need is that set of agreed forms. And you could, as an individual, go through just eight documents and say, that's that piece of data, that's that piece of data, that's that piece of data, pull those out. And then for 2,400 documents, spin that out as you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, so that was, that was eight hours for, for 4,800 total, 2,400 documents and 2,400 red lines. Um, as always happens, though, um, the morning of closing, uh, there was a change, <laughs> a further negotiation <laughs> over the weekend. The lead investor turned around and was like, "Yeah, we need to make this change." Um, and so the client turns to the team and says, "Cool, we need we need that change." The client doesn't get that that takes a lot of time. You know, mm-hmm. even just changing a number from a one to a zero across two thousand four hundred documents takes a very 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 long time, and at that point, you're looking at potentially needing to push back closing, which looks very, very, very bad on the law firms. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Obviously, no law firm will ever admit to having missed a deadline, but most of the time it ends up being you calling and agreeing an extension, which in my mind is missing a deadline. Yes. Um, but uh, he was able to get all 2,400 documents rectified with the one change uh, in 30 minutes. Um, Fantastic. So I, I, again, it's it like, it's that kind of thing. But, but again, that, that comes outside of just using the tool, right? You can, you can, build, you can build these sorts of things but, and be very limited in your scope and think, oh, I use Office Dragons only for this. But it's when you start to take that one level up. We, we had a hashtag we used to love using, which was hashtag draft deals, not docs. Um, when you stop thinking about the documents that legal tech is useful for and start thinking about what is the legal tech doing, um, it's that mentality shift that got him to think, okay, wait a second, these are just bits of data that I could extract and then mm-hmm. put all of the different ones for 300 people, hit go and boom, wait for the app to run.
1: That's great. And I suppose that that also just exemplifies what you were saying earlier, that there are innovative people in firms. Absolutely. Just... This guy
0: had never been trained by us. Yeah. Like he, he went to our guide site, taught himself how to use our app, but recognized what it was doing and just jumped onto it. That's
1: great. So now in your role today at Office and Dragons, what are you doing in terms of business development?
0: Uh, It's a good question because we're a startup and, and as (laughs) anyone will tell you in a startup, your title doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, That's very true. Business business development, honestly, like I didn't even know really what it was when I came in there. Like depending on who you talk to, everybody in business development has a different, has a different like definition of business development. For Mm -hmm. me, What it kind of means now is the way I describe it that's an oversimplification is if you see anything out there that is not the product, I have probably had a hand in it somehow. So, Mm -hmm. whether that's marketing, I feed into sales a lot, customer service, customer success, um, PR. You know, thinking about our, you know, all the strategy that go, goes behind all of that. A lot of it is me working with our go-to-market team to build out things. We've got a major sort of secret project going on just now that I'm leading the team on that's one of our biggest ventures yet. Um, but yeah, so so essentially anything that the outside will eventually see or could see, I, I, I kind of touch that. Uh, in practice, it's meant a lot of focus on kind of the sales, customer development, and marketing roles, but it also touches a lot beyond that.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. And then would you ever do some of the more technical side of things inside Office and Dragons, given your background in SQL? Did, did you also uh, say you learned to code as well in the end? No.
0: So I, I saw that it would be useful to code and then end up finding that I got so distracted by Office I'm currently learning okay. Python. Uh, nice. I don't know Python yet. Um but no, I mean, I mean, beyond like QA testing, um, not so much building, uh, the product team is much better suited for that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I I know my way around Excel tables and stuff, if need be. Um, as we continue to grow, I'd love to get to a point where we start actually building out databases that I can start using SQL to start making queries for. Because at the end of the day, data becomes, d- data begets data and once we get to a position where we're able to start feeding more reliable data into databases then yeah i'll 100% turn my hand to it um, i mean running trainings if you count that as technical but you know i know how to use our product we eat our own we eat our own dog food so i mm-hmm. use office and dragons whenever i need something like that whether that's yeah. updating suites of documents i know we were talking about using that for iso documentation as well and stuff like that we we use office and dragons i teach people how to use office and dragons that's mildly technical but Mm. so uh, in terms of actually coding it's more qa testing than anything else
1: great i think i just wanted to sort of show how wide your role is how it is you know it's really exciting to work in a startup because like you said you have a title and your friends say like what do you do and then you say your title and then um then you say but actually really i do x y and z and i'm across the board basically yeah and I for, mean, some, for some people who are always on the traditional legal path, it's really hard for them to actually understand. Because in law school, we're always like told this set path. And it's like, when you're a trainee, you will do X, Y, and Z. And then when you mm-hmm. go and work in a legal tech startup or a tech startup or any other startup, um, it's very different. And, but I think that's really freeing to do that. And it gives you a lot more opportunities.
0: It's also quite scary sometimes. Um, but, yes, this is very yeah. true. Um, there, there's definitely an element of, of uh, ne- needing to be very flexible on how how you go about it. It was one of the things I learned at Amazon, I think, is like the approach is totally different. When you walk into certain jobs, people will say, here's what you're going to do. Here's how to do it. Go do it. Versus like when I went into Amazon, the first thing was like, here's our broad goal, figure out how to get it done.
1: Yes, um, exactly.
0: And they expected in Amazon that my job was going to be a lot more of a merchandising role. Mm-hmm. But I ended up like doing a lot of back-end SQL queries to automate, like automate different things to get us better data, which nice. still achieved the end goal. Um, and, and did so in a much more repeatable way than the other way. But, you know, some jobs will tell you your job is to make merchandising campaigns. So go ahead and do this versus if we say, okay, we just want to get more site share for independently published novels on Mm amazon.com okay how we do that becomes your job that's fun and terrifying um there are a lot of people who don't do well with that um and there's definitely I think a mentality and a comfort zone that you need to kind of leave at the door in order to get that done effectively but that's what startups are all about um Mm -hmm. it's one of the things I really liked it was one of the things that made me want to also leave like not just traditional law but big like big corpse. Um, Outside of like tech companies like Google and Amazon, I'm told the vast majority work very much in the siloed. You come in, you punch in, you do your job, you go home. In a similar way, a lot of law firms are quite similar. You kind of know your role, you kind of do your role and you're expected at a certain point to have that role shift, though you were never really trained to do that other role. It's just Mm -hmm. now you're kind of doing it versus... I don't know what I'm doing half the time at Office and Dragons. I'm having to learn as much as I'm doing anything else. You're constantly trying to upskill. Yes. You know, I walked into this, as, as you've seen through my job history, business development went on that. I had never done this before. So I've had yes. to learn it all. Um, it's quite fun. <laughs> That's why I focused on being a generalist as well uh, in my in my career so far. Like why I said, like I could have gotten other corporate jobs, but I chose to work in a bar. Um, you know, getting, getting general skills, I think, especially right now, is probably as uh, is probably more beneficial in my mind than being a specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on, depends on the economic times. I know I have some friends who said actually going into the job force when it was 2008 uh, and the recession was hitting, well, actually being a generalist was the way to get a job versus mm-hmm. in other times being a specialist is the way to get a job. So it kind of depends. But I don't think you're ever going to have a problem being a jack of all trades. Um, Because you can, you then frequently, frequently, what comes with that is the ability to learn Mm -hmm. um, and be able to pick up other things, which is, I think, one of my better skills is being flexible in what I do.
1: Yeah, definitely. And just sort of to close off the podcast episode, what advice would you have for students who know they don't want a traditional legal career, or maybe they're struggling for whatever reason to get on the path to a traditional legal career? And they're sort of interested in these other opportunities that are popping up around them, such as in legal tech or tech startups.
0: Uh, I'd say figure out what you actually care about and what you're actually passionate about. Um, And what you're passionate about, I can guarantee you, is not being a lawyer, because that's not what that's not something people are like don't you don't let the job titles define what you actually care about because actually a lot of trainees, their job is copying and pasting. So if, you know what? If you are passionate about copying and pasting, then hey, there you go. But figure out what you're passionate about. Are you passionate about thinking about legal problems? If so, there are many different roles that do that. Some in law, some not, some in-house. I mean, I had to think about legal problems as a project manager when I was at Amazon because I was looking at our contracts with our independent publishers. And I wanted to see what we could or couldn't do with that. You have to think about legal problems that way. It's never gonna be a problem. If you're passionate about fixing processes, that opens up. So I think, I think divorce yourself from the job title mm-hmm. and just ask yourself, what do you actually care about? And research how you go about doing those things. Um, there are so many opportunities out there for people. Don't get suckered into the idea that there's a single path. Young Logan was right three trains and a bus you'll get you'll you'll get there some way uh to whatever your vision of success is but don't narrow yourself to saying success is only if i become a partner by 30 because you're just setting yourself up with unrealistic expectations that don't meet anything like if you're if you're a partner at the age of 30 and you're working 59 hours a day and you're not going home and you have no personal life and you're super stressed who cares if you have a lot of money, honestly? Mm-hmm. It, it's uh, it, like, what do you want? Why do you want to be a partner? Think ask that question. If you think I want to be X, ask Y. Figure out that. And then go figure out something that has to do with that. That may or may not be the partner. Definitely. You know, if being a partner, you wanted to manage relationships. There's a lot of jobs that manage relationships. You can look for other things, figure out what you want to do, and don't figure out what you want to be. Mm -hmm. that whole what do you want to be when you grow up question is out of out of style for a reason I think
1: absolutely definitely and actually sorry I have one more question and uh, this is a question we just ask everyone even though this is a law and technology podcast and people don't really read but is there a book that you would recommend
0: um it's an interesting one I mean tons of books that, that I could recommend the one I've quite enjoyed that I've been uh, I'm really bad with reading. Uh, with reading physical books, I listen more to audiobooks. Uh, okay, same. But yeah, um, yeah. but I, I I do miss actually reading. In this case, it was an ebook on my Kindle. But I like physical books and all that. Um, since lockdown, my girlfriend and I weren't able to see each other for about three months because we were just a bit too far apart in public transit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually started. Uh, I started reading to her in the evenings and it is a book series it's a fantasy book series called the rat catcher series by matthew colville the first book is called priest uh it's like a hard-boiled fantasy so it's a bit like it's a bit noir it's a bit fantasy it's a bit psychological um but good read uh i quite enjoyed it um highly recommend and they're they're nice and short too um he's he is an author doesn't like the epic fantasy style his books are like two three hundred pages um so nice quick reads as well so yeah i can recommend that Uh, So, yeah, I mean, if you're interested in learning more about Office and Dragons or uh, about transaction development, we're actually in the middle of doing something really cool. You can pop over to our website, officeanddragons.com, and we've just started an early access program for the next stage of our exploration of transaction development with our new app. Um, It's going to be a limited group of people and, you know, not everything's fully public, so still quite secretive. But if you are interested in getting engaged, you can go over there and uh, and apply to, to join the program.
1: Great. And I'll leave the link in the description. Of the podcast,
0: That's awesome. well. Perfection. I'll send you the link to that. <laughs> Perfect.
1: Thank you, Logan. It's been a pleasure to talk to you for the podcast today. And you, Annabelle. Thank you for having me. I'm Annabelle Pemberton, and you have just listened to the Wide Wig podcast, available on Spotify, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts.